Hello, I'm Fern Cotton and this is Happy Place, the podcast that shows we're all just muddling through life as best we can. Today I'm catching up with Kate Ferdinand. I think I was really nervous at the beginning and obviously Lorenz, Tate and Tia have their own kind of way... Well, they're all the same age, so all the activities suit, we all do the same thing, and then all of a sudden this toddlers come in. The whole dynamic has changed of the house because all of a sudden there's this little human. Naturally, Cree gets more of my time, but they're just so welcoming, and it is the most beautiful thing because I was so worried thinking, are they going to get on? Are they going to see each other's brothers and sisters? Is there going to be a void because I'm here and their mum isn't here? Are they going to feel that? They're just brothers and sisters. Kate was on the show a couple of years ago with her husband, Rio. I went to their gorgeous house, which was so wonderful. I met Ronnie, Kate's tiny dog, who actually smiles. I've got a picture, I'll dig it out. He's the cutest dog. And very much enjoyed meandering to the downstairs toilet, which leads you through a corridor where there's like a glass floor with all of Rio's amazing football boots embedded into the floor. I mean, I did take a sneaky picture. At the time, Kate was just a couple of years into her life as a step-parent to Rio's three children. Since then, Kate's had her son, Cree, and is currently pregnant too. So there have been even more new challenges for her to navigate now that she, like me, has both step and biological children. She's written a beautiful book, How to Build a Family, which I'm incredibly proud to say is published by Happy Place Books. It covers everything from moving in with a ready-made family and how to make your own changes in that dynamic to managing comparisons with previous partners and how to cope with insecurities around being the right parent for stepchildren. Quite honestly, it's the book I wish I'd been able to read when I was at the start of my own journey as a step-parent. It's brilliant. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Okay, here it is. This is the show. Kate Ferdinand, hello. Hello. I am very, very proud and pleased to be holding this beautiful book that you've written, How to Build a Family, published on... That makes me so happy to see the Happy Place Books little logo. This book is bloody brilliant. How does it feel to see it, to, to hold it, to sort of know that it's a real book out there now? Well, I walked in, I said, oh my God, you've got the real thing, because you get little dummies and you get it all in like a... Not the real thing, whatever it is, like a booklet... And it made me really emotional when I got it through the post the other day. I felt really overwhelmed because I felt like it's kind of like our story and what it's taken to get to where we are now. And it just felt, yeah, really overwhelming, actually. I bet. And um, I, I guess not only because of your personal story, but also for you and for me, this is the book that we both wished we'd had. 
you when you started your step parenting experience and and the same for me when I met my husband 12 years ago I couldn't find anything and there wasn't there I didn't see any sort of resources for that transition from being a single person to then being a step parent or a step figure before I got married I had no clue what I was doing and you've kind of put all of that passion and drive into this book and it is it's just brilliant I love it so Let's talk about your story because you do, as you said, sort of go into that in this book. You met Rio when you were 26 on holiday. And at that point, you were adamant that you did not want to meet someone who had kids. It's funny. I know you're going to say this. I'm <laughs> laughing because I, I don't know how that was so strong, that feeling. I came from my mum and dad divorced when I was young. I come from like a broken home, as you call it. And I was adamant that I wouldn't meet someone with kids. And here I am, a stepmom to three, writing books about blended families. Mm. It's funny how life works out, isn't it? It is. Have you chatted to your parents about your own experiences since of being a kid, but also now being a step-parent? Uh, slightly. I don't communicate the best with my mum. So we have a little bit of issue of understanding each other sometimes. That's quite so common. We, we try to, but it doesn't quite, you know get to where it's meant to be, the conversations, in all honesty. Um, my dad, I didn't see him for a lot of my life and now we've formed a relationship again. So we're building blocks and that's going really well. But yeah, I literally came from not the nuclear family and thought that I was going to go straight into one. Mm. How bizarre is that when you think about it? So what were your preconceived ideas of a blended family before you entered one or you forged one? Because, of course, if you had that strong feeling that you really didn't want to meet someone with kids, I'm imagining that your expectations were, were negative or the, the, the sort of vision you had of a blended family would be perhaps messy or wouldn't function in the way that you wanted. Yeah, I think maybe coming from my parents breaking up and having a stepmom and things like that. You know, if you start a family with someone first, I wanted to do everything first. I wanted to have the first child. I wanted to experience all of those firsts together. I didn't really think about anything else that would be really negative. I just wanted to have all of that together. But I don't know. I don't know why I was so desperate for that. But I think it comes down to, again, books and what we read and what we see when we're young. And you don't see blended families. It's not the norm, is it? So you think... I was in an abnormal situation growing up. That's what I thought. And I want to be in a normal one. But actually, what the bloody hell is normal? Well, exactly. And now blended families are so commonplace. And I am i luckily know quite a few people that are in a similar situation to me, which has been really handy. That's really helped. And I think you realise how many people are in the same position. But you can feel very isolated when you start out in that role. I mean, I, I approached being a stepmom feeling quite naive and like the whole thing was a novelty so I was like wow we get to like go to a ball pit or go and watch a kids film and I I wasn't taking any of it necessarily seriously until I understood the impact that I would have on the kids and that I was going to be a role in their life a guide in their life I had no true understanding of that until I was actually doing it and you are sort of learning on the job how did you find that integration into a family at the age of 26? I was kind of the same as you. I just thought, I'm kind of get for everything in life. I'm going to get through this. It's going to be fine. Listen, I knew Rio had kids. I knew that they lost their mum. I think my naivety was good because it helped me just go into it with not overthinking it too much. Like you, it was only when I was in it. I think actually probably when I moved into the house that I thought, wow, this is there's a lot more to this than what I thought. Sometimes you just breeze through life and this wasn't going to be one of those situations. I had to really 
you know, my children have lost their mum. I've got to really think about how to deal with them, be like a positive influence. And then that was quite heavy, but I was already in it. So I hadn't thought about it till I was already in it, which I think is a good thing for me, for me personally, because I'm an overthinker anyway. And then when you're in it, I just wanted it to work. So we do whatever it takes to make it work. Yeah. But thinking back now, I think someone asked me this the other day, if I'd have overthought it when I first met him, would I still be here? I probably would because I loved him. Yeah. So whatever happens, I would still be here. But I really felt like I needed, I didn't know where to turn like you. I just didn't know what to do. And I didn't really have anyone in similar situations. I was quite young, 26. All my friends were kind of having babies. And I had like Lorenz Tate and Tia who were like six, eight and ten. I just didn't have anything in common with anyone around me and that's what I struggled with. Yeah, and also you entered not only a family that were formed but also a family in deep grief. Not only had the kids lost their mum but also their nan around the same time too. That is a lot to take on, especially when you're in that you know extremely exciting but kind of strange position of falling in love with someone which is a vulnerable place to be anyway you know taking that risk to sort of fall in love with someone and your your life's going down a different path altogether how did you navigate that falling in love with someone having kids in the situation grief in the mix and everyone's also watching you go through this extremely overwhelming situation yeah it's a lot when you say it like that it's a bloody lot when I think back, I don't know how we've got through. We always say, what did we do? Because it was so hard and I don't know how we've got through. And the only thing that I can possibly think that we say is we were just consistent and we showed love to the children and we didn't give up. They're the only three things. There's not like a particular thing because like you say, there's no handbook. You don't really know what you're doing. So you've got to make some mistakes along the way. You're trying to do your best, like any parent is, I suppose. But it was a lot. It was a lot. And looking back, I think that's why then when I had the book in my hands the other day, I felt really emotional that I was once in a position where I thought I couldn't even continue and how am I managing this? And I feel like I'm failing miserably to now I've actually got a book that is going to help people when they're in this situation. It felt just really amazing. And wow, I've come so far. And don't get me wrong. I still struggle. I, I'm not like the perfect parent in the slightest. Definitely not the perfect step parent. I still have days where I feel like I'm not part of the family. That is absolutely not them putting it on me. It's my it's own feelings. It's normal. Where you just feel a little bit, um, should I be here? What would happen? You know, that sliding doors kind of thoughts. But I'm in a much better place than I was six years ago it is now I think. But that's why I think the book is so refreshing is not only are you offering up the learnings that you've experienced over the years as well as you've got experts in there who are giving some really solid tips that I found very helpful. You're very honest about it's an everyday situation it's an everyday learning curve. I feel exactly the same I'm sort of 12 years into being in my stepchildren's lives. I met them when they were five and nine and they're now nearly 18 and 21. So I've seen this amazing growth and them changing. And and I, I still, like you, have, you know, feelings of insecurity. I think one of the things that was very interesting that you touched on in the book that I think most people either moving into this role or step-parents who are already sort of living it will feel is the fear of rejection from your stepchildren. And you've obviously now got your son Cree, your biological son, and the feelings can be different towards your stepchildren and your biological children. And again, that is completely normal. You're not, 
you know, doing anything wrong, having those thoughts. I, I feel exactly the same, that I fear my stepchildren rejecting me much more than I fear my biological children rejecting me. And I thought that was a really interesting point. I don't think I'd ever given it much thought, but the feelings are very, very real. Yeah. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because I feel like we've worked so hard. With my stepchildren, I've had to, we've all had to work to yeah. get to this point that it's scary if it would be taken away from me. When you've got, oh God, that sounds terrible. Like my biological son isn't scared if they were gone, but it's just more of a natural thing, having a baby, them growing inside your belly. You love the baby before they're even born. You don't have to really work for that bond. It's natural. Whereas I feel like with stepkids, you have to earn that and work for it. And the thought of them not being happy with me terrifies me because I want to be the best version I can be for them. I don't feel as much pressure as a biological parent. I don't know why. I feel the same. But I can't, I can't pinpoint what it is. No. But even now I still, you know, if someone was a bit funny, I think, oh, my God. Have I done something? And Rua's like, no, this is normal. They're teenagers, but you're just experiencing the teen years of a stepchild before a biological. So you're taking it all personally, but actually they're just being a normal teenager. Yeah. And I have to really try and tell myself, come on, Kate, you need to see the difference here because otherwise it can get a bit much. I get, you feel like you're not meant to be here and you worry about everything, but actually teenagers are teenagers and I was one, but my logical brain doesn't always tell me that. Yeah. It's like my emotional brain tells me something different. And we're scared of rejection. No one wants to you know, feel rejected. It's a, it's a horrible feeling. And especially when you say you've, you know, as step parents, you put work and love and energy and time into these kids. You want it to work. You want it to feel good. And, you know, I think the hard work definitely pays off because you have that beautiful connection. And, you know, you say in the book, six years down the line now, you feel confident in that role. You feel comfortable in that role. And I think that in the context of step parenting, it does just take time and experience to to feel comfortable on any level and not not comfortable forever, every day, but but comfortable enough. And for there to have been progress from feeling quite nervous at the start, I'm talking about my own situation here as well, to, you know, being in that experience and then feeling, yeah, more confident. It's a good, it's a good feeling. Yeah, and it, anyone's at the beginning, I remember me and Rio filmed a documentary. I think we're like two, one or two years in, and the lady was like, "Right, it takes four to seven years to feel comfortable." And I was like, <laughs> "What? I'm only on year two. Like, are you fucking joking me? Like, I need you. I need more." But <clears throat> actually, now we're at six years. I can really feel that kind of comfort. I don't feel that everyday heightened anxiety that I felt at the beginning. Like it's hard stepping into a family that's already made and living with them every single day and not knowing everything about everyone and always feeling slightly on the outskirts. Whereas I think it's now we've made so many of our own memories and we've got all these kind of bonds that we've built that it becomes, you just become more relaxed, I think. Yeah, yeah. And you've got shared experiences. Like yeah. you say, you can reminisce about holidays or... There's, you know, funny stories that you all know about. It's all those sort of tiny moments that really, really count. Do you think that being in the depths of that grief that, you know, very quickly you were in that um, that heaviness of grief with Rio and the children, do you think that helped to sort of fast track your relationship and bond with them somewhat? Yeah, I think so. And even just with Rio, because I feel like what we've been through in such a short space of time a lot of people don't go through in a lifetime and it's been so difficult with the grief and you know everything that comes with losing a two people that are really important to you so close together that you do form this crazy bond because 
you understand each other. No one really knows, this, even with the kids, what goes on that doesn't live in our house. So you create this bond based on everything that you're going through together. Even though, you know, I haven't lost someone and I'm not grieving for their mum like they are, I'm still in it with them. And you create a bond through that. And I think that does make the connection kind of deeper because it's, it's hard to explain, but we're just going through so much and we really love and care about each other. And it's kind of, it has fast tracked it, I suppose, because I suppose I think, I don't want to speak out of turn, but the kids can see that I'm there for them. And there's been lots of not so perfect times that we've all stayed together. So it just heightens that love, yeah. I, I would say. I don't know if they'd say the same. Yeah, of course, because <laughs> you've consistently shown up. You've consistently yeah. been there through the ups and the downs. And I think that is what creates beautiful bonds, isn't it? And it's it's, it's an amazing thing. So... After you moved into the family home and you started to feel a bit more settled in the role as a step-parent, at what point did you feel comfortable to say, right, I want to make my mark here, I want to be part of this family dynamic, I want to help set the rules? And obviously there becomes a natural point where you have to be involved in disciplining the kids because at the end of the day, they're kids and all kids need structure, rules to know what's right and what's not okay in the home. When did that happen for you and, and how did you feel approaching those subjects with Rio? To be honest with you, I think, it sounds crazy now, but Rio just said discipline them from the beginning. Mm. So we kind of went through the stage of, I think I moved in October. So I met Rio in, the, Rio in January. It was all quite quick. I met the kids in April. I moved in October. But in between that time, we went on holiday together. We, I was around their house quite a lot. So I was having that kind of relationship with them, but going home, basically. Picking them up from school, but going home. So then when I moved in, I was already disciplining them slightly. Like I would tell them, no, you don't do that. Um, I found it really difficult. And they probably thought, well, we've spoke about it since. Like, who is she coming in and telling us what to do? Like, But where I was a full-time stepmom and Rio wasn't there all of the time... He just said, I want my kids to be looked after how I would look them after and I give you permission to do that. And don't get me wrong, it was hard. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really know how far to go. I didn't want to upset everyone. And that makes it harder to form a really happy bond because maybe at the beginning this woman's telling you all this stuff that you don't really want to hear. Because I think what happened was, and I know Rhea wouldn't mind me saying, is him and Rebecca were very strict. And then I think she passed away and obviously you just want to scoop the kids up. So naturally I think they get away with a little bit more than what they would because you just want them to be happy. And then I come along and I was like, right, come on, well, there's certain things that need to be in place that you've told me that their mum would want that I'm going to try and implement with you, which obviously didn't make me the greatest person at the beginning, but actually I feel like it's the best thing we ever did. But for anyone going through this... It's bloody tough. And yeah. they didn't listen to me at the beginning. No. Well, and kids I, don't, do they? No. Well, they don't even listen to me now, no. time, to be honest with you. But I think they respect <clears> me now. They didn't know yeah. me then to respect me. And I would have to go on. And I did feel like I was pulling my hair out. But we have boundaries and we have um, certain things in the house that we all respect. And it's made living with each other easier because we all know, I don't want to say a set of like rules, but a set of standards yeah. that we all live by. So if anyone dips below them, there's no need for it to go into a massive big thing because we know what the standards are. Yeah, it's really important because I think whatever the situation, this is a really tricky bit of territory discipline because if you've got 
um, a, a couple who are divorced and they both go off and blend families and however which way, you've got two different households doing things quite differently. And that can be quite discombobulating for the kids going from one set of rules to the other. Or you could have uh, one biological parent who doesn't have any rules whatsoever. So then when they're in the other household, things get really complicated because they get away with whatever at their dad or their mum's house. So it's really tricky. And I think that's a whole other, you know, scenario to unpick with how you come to good conclusions as to how you're going to create some harmony between if there are two homes or two sets of families, whatever. And I really liked the piece that you wrote about a lady Ainsley that you'd met who was going through a divorce and trying to work out how to do this exact thing. And she, and I never even heard of this. She came up with a parenting plan. So her and her partner, who she was separating from, had this sort of agreement on paper. It's not legally binding, but it's an agreement. And it states what's okay, what's not okay, how they're going to navigate Christmases, holidays, etc. And it's an agreement of decency that then um, gives the kids, as well as the adults, fairness, equanimity, it's so important. I think you've got to do that from the get-go so those things are in place. There's actually a website that you reference in the book called Kafkas, and they have a template there, which I wish, you know, that I'd known about all of this back in the day because I think if you get all that in place early, it saves so much trouble down the line. It's so... And she's amazing. Ainsley actually works on the blended team. That's so cool. Um, and she's so great what they've done. And I know it's not easy for everyone because not everyone breaks up and can communicate. But from my experience and all the people that I've spoken to, the earlier you do get that in, the smoother the ride can be. But I know it's not always that simple. Yeah. That's why it's really important to have lots of different stories in there because not everyone's the same and it's not all going to run smooth because there's so many emotions involved, isn't there? There are so many emotions. And I love the case studies in this book because you do get all these different dynamics and circumstances. And like you say in the book, more often than not, when there is a divorce, it can be very tricky and the partners don't want to communicate necessarily, don't get on. And there is usually some kickback with new partners coming into play, etc. None of it's easy, but I think like you've proved and hopefully I'm sort of living and breathing it too, it's worth it. If you love someone, if you love the kids, it's also worth the massive ups and downs that you end up going through because it's all about love and connection at the end of the day that's really nice when you say it like that isn't it it is though because i think you can get caught up in it and you can get caught up in family drama and stress and this person said this but really it is just through love so anyone that's even started on this journey is because they love someone that's pretty special really isn't it when you think of it like that before the complication comes in (laughs) yeah i think any relationship has complication whether it's a blended family or not It's a given there's going to be road bumps. And I think it's just probably a quicker experience of that in a blended family and perhaps more bumpy at the start. But I do think with time, things get easier. In that cliche way, I do. I think, you know, you all get to know each other better and you get to understand each other's boundaries and each other's likes and dislikes. And just over time, incrementally, you find 
your comfort in it and it can be really beautiful. And I wonder how you feel things have changed since you had your son Cree and also you're pregnant at the moment and have another baby on the way. How has that changed the dynamic? I, I, you know, I, I personally remember that moment very well where we told my stepchildren, Arthur and Lola, we were going to have our baby, who's now a massive 10-year-old bloke. Um, <laughs> and they were kind of a bit nonplussed about it. I mean, they were tiny. They were sort of six and 10 or something. And they were like, oh, okay. But now, oh my God, when we have all four kids together, which we try and do as much as we can, I feel the most proud about their relationship than anything in my entire life, that they love each other. As siblings, there's no half about it. They're siblings. And to see them all interacting, the big ones helping the little ones out, the little ones annoying the hell out of the big ones, but making them laugh. It's just the most gorgeous thing. Again, not always easy at the start, but it's it's very, very beautiful. How have you found the introduction of having Cree in the house and the thought of having another baby coming along? Exactly what you've said. It's exactly like that. But I think I was really nervous at the beginning. And obviously, Lorenz, Tate and Tia have their own kind of way. Well, they're all the same age. So all the activities suit. We all do the same thing. And then all of a sudden, this toddler's come in. It's a nightmare. <laughs> I know this one. There's such a big age gap. Yeah. And he's now two. Um, and the, and Lorenzo, our oldest, is 16. There's a 12-year gap between Cree and Tia. So the whole dynamic has changed of the house because all of a sudden there's this little human that needs help all the time. Mm. So I think naturally Cree gets more of my time. But they're just so welcoming. And it is the most beautiful thing because I was so worried thinking, are they going to get on? Are they going to see each other's brothers and sisters? Overthinking everything as you do. Is this going to work? Is there going to be a void because I'm here and their mum isn't here? Are they going to feel that? You know, every question that you could possibly ask was going through my head. But like you said, they're just brothers and sisters. Yeah. And it makes, we sit back on the sofa sometimes and it actually makes me tear up just looking at them all play together and, being so happy and Cree's like a lunatic. Um, <laughs> seriously, he's just—I don't even know what to call him. He's like a boy in a china shop, and he—but he brings so much happiness. Yeah, and he makes the older ones seem a little bit younger as well because they're teenagers. You know what teenagers are like? They're a bit cool. They're a bit cool, but they're not when Cree's there no, because no. they're just jumping around playing with him, and it's so special. It's like so proud of them all together. Yeah, it's a gorgeous thing. It really I completely is. understand that you know, they're all into different things because of the age gap. Because we still find the biggest one is if we go on holiday, we, we go, whenever we go away, we take all four kids with us and the older ones want to stay in bed till midday, but the younger ones are up at half six and want to go, if we're abroad, straight to the beach, or if we're in the UK, they want to go running outside somewhere. And it's like, oh my God. And you're sort of doing breakfast at seven, then another breakfast at 11 for the older ones. And it's like, this is... Absolute chaos, but I think I've just accepted that it's chaos. So maybe th- I'm not where you are yet, and I maybe need to accept it because I, <laughs> we've just got back from holiday, and I was stressed because I want to keep everyone happy, but I'm up at six thirty or whatever with Cree, and he wants to go breakfast straight away. Yeah, and I understand, of course, the big ones. It's their holiday; they want to lay in, but then the family is divided in two at quite a few times. Yes, and it's like, when do we then come together? How does this work? And mm. also because Cree's too, I'm gonna go to breakfast with him. Yeah, all the like, say you're in a hotel. Um, I have to, but then he doesn't always want to go back to breakfast if they're going at eleven. No, so it's kind of like right. Some days I woke them up, and they're like, God, yeah, go away. And we all have breakfast together, <laughs> and then some days you just let it be separate. But I do think you have to accept that there are. Two different holidays going on. It's two different holidays. It is. We had this last summer where my the, the my stepkids were going out clubbing 
And then, well, Arthur certainly was. Lola was sort of maybe going out a bit before that. And then they were all going out clubbing. And then they were getting in God knows what hour. We'd gone to bed. And then oh, I think the lowest point was when Rex decided to find the sound effect of a shrieking goat and play it on full blast on a speaker outside Arthur's bedroom at about <laughs> seven. It was like, oh, no, this this is this does not work. It, it's two different holidays. Yes. And I think I just last year, I think it clicked. I've got to have acceptance of this. It's, I think a holiday is always a bit of a melting pot of things, but it really sort of heightens all of the differences and the age groups. But it is what it is. And, you know, it'll all even out one day when they're all adults or whatever. But at the moment, it's, yeah, it's, I don't think any of it's tricky. Weekends, they can be really tricky. You know, one of them's doing a sports club. One of them doesn't do any activity. You know, everyone's doing different things and it it's chaos. And I'm not necessarily good in chaos, but I think I've got better at accepting it is what it is. That's just how it's going to be. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records. Another worry that I thought was really brilliant that you highlighted in the book and I think many parents who have been through something similar to yourself will really understand this feeling. You were worried about Cree using the word mummy in the house. How have you navigated that? Because obviously the three older kids, they call you Kay or Mummy Kay. And then you've got Cree who calls you mummy. And that caused you a lot of anxiety mm. at the start. Yeah, it's funny because I only had a conversation about this with Tia the other day because... And it's fine. So, again, all these massive, massive worries before the event that bog you down and it all falls into place and it's fine. So, Cree calls me mummy. All of the big kids call me Kate. If we're talking about me in a sense, sometimes I'm mummy Kate, um, but I'm mummy to Cree. But the other day I find myself going, right, come here to mummy. And then Tia's there, I go, oh, oh, come here to mummy Kate. And Tia actually said to me the other day, Kate, it's fine. It made me want to, well, I'm emotional. I don't miss the hormones. <laughs> Keep bloody crying all the time. She said, it's fine. Like, I'm okay if you say mummy. Like, I'm fine with that. Or you don't have to say mummy Kate. And I said, really? She said, I don't, I don't mind what it is. It's, it's, I don't, it doesn't bother me. So the kids call me Kate. Cree, the little sod, sometimes goes, Kate. And I look at, you know, but I don't know how this two-year-old, he does it with like a bit of sarcasm. Um, and I look That's at him amazing. and he goes, mummy Kate? And I go, no. And he goes, mummy, oh, like this. Um, I love it. But, you know, it's fine. But it is a bloody worry, seriously, because they've lost their mum. How are they going to react to yeah. this little boy keeps saying mummy, mummy? They're unbelievable, the kids. They're great with him. They call me mummy when they're talking to him, like, go to mummy. And it is all fine. Yeah. And I couldn't have wished for it to be better. But I think my kids are... Lorenz and Tia are pretty amazing at adapting and they've made it really easy for me in a sense. Yeah, so beautiful. It seems so that, you know, communication is really key in those moments where you're struggling to process something or you're unsure of how to, to tackle a certain situation. The fact that you can sit there and go, look, guys, or you can have a cry and say, this is how I'm feeling. It's making me feel very uncomfortable. I'm worrying about everybody. 
that seems key. And, and throughout the book, it seems of paramount importance that you can talk to Rio really openly and that you can also talk to the kids really openly and have discussions where you tackle awkward situations, painful situations, situations where you don't even have the answer. That Did that come quite naturally or is that something that you've cultivated over time? I think I've always been a big communicator. Rio's been the opposite when I met him and didn't really communicate. But being in this situation and trying to understand everyone's feelings and it being so different to what we all know, we absolutely have to communicate. And don't get me wrong, sometimes you might have to dig something out of a child because they don't want to. And I know you're not really meant to do that. But eventually, when we all communicate, we just all know where everyone is at. I think it's taken some time to get there because I always think, especially for children, it's hard for them to think about being honest without upsetting you. But actually, I think it really helps everyone just saying how they feel. Yeah. And I sort of try not to take it personally. Or, or I might say how I feel and my feelings might just be really emotional and they might not be actually the truth. And then someone might kind of set me straight. Actually, it wasn't like that, Kate. Have you thought about this? And actually, it makes you feel better. So we're... We're still working on that, but it's a huge part of our lives. And I don't know where we'd be now if we didn't communicate. I like to think most of my kids, I kind of know where they're at. Even if it takes a little while to get there because they've held it in for a little bit, it always ends up with a massive debrief. We're like, right, debrief on the sofa. Come on, everyone, we're having a chat. And we always feel better afterwards, always. Yeah, and also I think including the kids in as much as as you can in just general decision making. You gave a really good example that when you were planning your wedding, that was really important that the children felt part of it and that you gave them these love bracelets as well as you sort of giving Rio a ring and that that sort of lovely moment. There was also this bracelet giving, which really made them feel part of it. I think we've definitely tried to do that in our own way too. We, I mean, I was talking to my stepson, Arthur, about this. He was back from university at Easter and we were looking at wedding pictures. I was actually showing his very lovely new girlfriend, Izzy, pictures of Arthur in a giant suit at our <laughs> wedding, which was the cringy, like, cliche parent thing to do. And there was pictures of our wedding cake. And I was like, oh, you chose all the flavours of that. Do you remember? Because we got Arthur and Lola to pick what the cake was. And he was like, no, don't remember that at all. And I was like, oh, great. <laughs> to me, it was this huge moment where they were all involved in the colours of the flowers on the cake or whatever. But it was really fun at the time and it made them really part of the whole day and the celebration. I think, you know, where you can, it is so important to include the kids in all the big life decisions, in all the planning, just so they're not left out or feel like in the dark with situations. 100%. And the cake thing's funny because there's things that we've done like that and I think they're massive moments and the kids don't remember. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, God, that's like a really thing that I'm proud of. But... I think they always remember how you made them feel. Yeah. So they always remember that they feel included, but they might yeah. not remember the moments. Mm. And sitting here saying, include your kid in every life decision, it sounds a lot. But just them being there and feeling like they're included and not things being sprung on them yeah. was a really big part because we've had so much change in our house. You can't just spring change on a child. So it's like you have discussions about, and I suppose that's probably where it started, like maybe when we got the kitchen decorated, which was like the first thing we'd done in the house. We had to talk about it and include the kids because they couldn't come home one day and the kitchen of the house that their mum and dad built was being torn down. Whereas really, would I tell Crew if I was going to go and paint a wall in a bedroom when he's older? Probably wouldn't, to be honest with you, like yeah. back then. But now we're all included in it because 
we have to. We have to talk about it so that everyone's comfortable. Yeah, and I think you're right that it's the amount of change that's happening for children in any blended family, it is a lot because already you're growing, you're at school, you're learning constantly, you've got friendship dynamics. For them to be also maybe moving between two houses or for their parents to be divorcing, whatever it is, is a lot of change. So I think where you can add some sort of support or buffer that change is is really important. Another really um, important point in the book that I'm glad you covered is the feelings that you have as a step-parent when it comes to comparison. Comparison is obviously the thief of joy in every area of life, but when you're a step-parent, it is so easy to compare yourself to either your partner's ex-partner, how they parented and all of the things that come with that, but also to families that aren't blended. And that one I hadn't really thought about as much until I read that in your book. Like, yeah, I guess I, when I've been out and about socially, especially before my biological children were born, if I was out with my stepkids, I would compare our setup to non-blended family setups very subconsciously, but it would make me feel edgy or I'd feel judged if other people were sort of watching us or, or said, oh, are these your, you know, they would just assume they were my children. And then there's the weird conversation of, oh, they're not actually my biological children. It's all, it feels uncomfortable in the moment. How have you navigated that just low level hum of comparison that can hover around when you're going about your everyday? I think it was really difficult in the beginning. And I used to, I think I say this in the book, more compare myself to maybe my friends as well that have just had a baby and, you know, it's mum and dad and baby and how kind of simple it seemed, it probably not having a baby, but from the outside compared to our situation, I just think, wow, they've got it so easy. They, they didn't, but I'm just, you know, and I, I'm struggling, I'm Kate and it's awkward and all these kind of feelings. But actually, again, that has really settled since I've become settled. So what I found is at the beginning when I felt judged by everyone, I didn't know what I was doing, didn't really have the relationship with the kids. It wasn't like a, we didn't love each other fully then. I was very unstable in my setting, in the house, in my role, in kind of everything. I didn't have a job, so I was very unsettled. Now I'm a lot more settled in each of those things. So that bigger thing of being compared doesn't really affect me because I know that I'm okay. I think it's when you're really unsure of what you're doing and then you feel compared, you, you're all over the place. But I feel settled. I know that I've got it okay. I know the kids love me. So now if I make a mistake, they're not going to judge me based off of that mistake. It's just a mistake like everyone makes. But in the early days, I'd feel like I've made a mistake. Did Their mum used to do that. Oh, my God, oh, I'm such a bad parent. Like I was more, it's more like self-critical, um, but it just took a while for me to feel comfortable and stable in what I was doing and confident in my decisions. Mm. And then I suppose that in turn has helped with the comparison. Back in the day, if people made comparison, that would really hurt me and I'd feel like I wasn't good enough. Whereas now I more think, well, I know I'm good enough and I'm more make it a them thing rather than a me thing. But that's again, come with me being comfortable. Yeah, and you've got to do things your way. I think that's... Again, I wish someone had sort of said that to me at the start of my step-parenting journey. Just do what you instinctively feel is right. Well, definitely ask for help if you feel like you don't actually know what to do in a, in a situation where you're looking after the kids. But create your own rules and, and ways. You know, if you were to have your biological child before entering a blended family, that would be more instinctive that you would think, oh, well, this is what I'm going to do because it feels right to me. But... 
you don't allow yourself to feel that instinct, I think, when you're in a blended family. You're second-guessing everything, comparing yourself. But you've got to do it your way. And I think there's no right or wrong. Even if we just rewind a bit and go back to you saying, you know, you met Rio, you introduced the kids two months after, then you moved in a few months after that. That might seem quick, but if it's right for you, it's right for you. I think I met my stepkids after a month, maybe, because me and Jesse sort of had the chat and we both felt that our relationship was something that was going to be hopefully long-lasting and it certainly felt different and we felt like it was the right thing to do. But for other people, it might be months. It could be, you know, it's there is no wrong or right. It's got to be a discussion on what feels right for you with any big decision, moving in, meeting the kids, how you set rules, discipline. I think it's got to be... It's got to be what works for you. It's true. And that's why it's good to have these conversations because even back then, I'm sure it's the same for you, I didn't hear anyone saying this. No. So someone goes, two, three months or whatever it was, God, that's a bit soon. And you've got nothing, not that you should compare, but no. to compare it to. <laughs> or no one say, you, you don't really know because I didn't really know anyone in the situation. Yeah. So you're just going with it. You're going with this feeling, like you say, and hoping that this love that we think we're feeling here is going to be strong enough to get us through and that we're doing the right thing. But that's why the book's so important, and I'm hoping it will help people because there's lots of different stories and people's advice, and you can take snippets which you think will suit you. Yeah, I agree. Everyone's situation is different. Everyone feels different. Everyone's coming along with different life experiences, etc. It's got to work for you. So alongside doing it your own way, you do offer some really good tips that are applicable to everyone. One of them is to make sure, and you said you found it very hard to write this bit of the book, but to have time away from the kids. That is very, very important. How have you benefited from that time out? Some some bits of the book I'm writing think you hypocrite, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> because I'm saying it, and sometimes it's so easy to tell other people what to do, but you don't always take your own advice. But that is a thing I do now. I have to take time away from the kids. At the beginning, I felt like I was a bad person for that. How can you want to be away from the kids? You're meant to be a good mum. Like, you shouldn't need time out. And now I know that I absolutely need time out and I can't do everything. Um, and I love going for a walk without them or I love saying, guys, I'm really sorry. It's all getting a bit much for me. I'm a bit emotional and I'm actually going to react probably in a way that I shouldn't. I'm going to my room for 10 minutes. Doesn't mean they don't come and knock on my door. Yeah. But I ha you have to do it just to keep your own sanity. And sometimes I feel like trying to work be a mum, be a stepmom, run a house, get everyone to their clubs, do all this stuff with school, all the emails, the school emails, the football emails. I can't keep up and I feel like I'm miserably failing and sometimes I need time out away from all of that to just be me. Yeah, I think that is such a pressure that so many women certainly feel in that role of motherhood or step-parenting is that... There's this pressure you're meant to be with the kids 24-7 alongside them with every step of the day. And actually, that's not beneficial to you or the kids. Of course, we want to be there to support them, to love them, to guide them. But you have to have time out and they have to try and cultivate their own independence and way of thinking in the world that isn't you sort of force feeding information and, and rules upon them. I even had it last night. I'd had quite a busy day at work while the kids are at school. I picked the kids up from school, brought them back, homework, dinner, all the usual. And then they wanted to play in the garden before bath time. So we're out in the garden. I could feel myself at like peak overwhelm, exhaustion. I had a bunch of emails I hadn't attended to. And Rex threw a cricket ball and it near missed my head by about an inch. And I was like, do you know what? 
uh, time out for me. I'm mum needs a break. I'm just going to go in the house. I got Jesse who was doing something in the house. I said, you go and do some cricket in the garden. I just need 10 minutes of deep breathing, quite frankly, <laughs> in a dark room, but just took myself away. Cause I thought that's just going to end in me exploding and just not being the sort of person I want to be if I do get hit by that cricket ball or whatever happens. So I'm just going <laughs> to take myself away from the situation. And it hasn't got to be, because you also give the example of date night isn't always possible, but if you can find time in the day to have a walk with Rio, have a cup of tea with him in the kitchen, that is enough to just have a bit of time where it's the just the two of you without the kids. Yeah, that's what I think everyone says. You need date night. You need date night. I can't remember the last time. Oh, we, God, we haven't. We went on date night. Like, there's no time for no. it. And also, do I really want to spend two hours getting dressed up <laughs> no. to then go out to go for dinner? I just want to chill. So it's about finding time to enjoy it, time together rather than date night. Like We love walking. And before I used to think, oh... We haven't had a date night. We haven't done this. But our idea of spending quality time together might not be a date night. We, Same. We enjoy going for a little walk and having a debrief or drop the kids to school or crew to nursery and chat on the way back. Yes. It hasn't got to be this like crazy big event that adds more pressure. No. But you do need to just make small bits of time. And I feel like I've really learned that along the way, that it doesn't always have to be a huge event. Not living for these big events. I'm trying to find joy in the small moments. Oh God, same here. I just can't go out at night. It's the problem. (laughs) I've got no interest at all. I'm pregnant and I can't go out at night, but you... No, I'm not pregnant. I just can't be bothered. (laughs) I can't be asked at all. Um, Also, having a good cry is one of your tips. Just letting it all out. 100%. Now, I spoke to one of the kids about this the other day and one of them was crying. And they went, sorry. And I said, why are you saying sorry? We're allowed to cry. But I'm the first one, I realised, to say sorry when I cry. It's just natural that we always think it's a bad thing to cry. But when you do cry, you feel so much better. I love crying. It's just, it's what a release it is, isn't it? It's heaven. I think, yeah, and you have to let it out. And I feel like if I keep it in, I'm snappy. Yeah. And I end up being horrible and not being who I want to be. And I end up having to apologise anyway because I should have just let it out. Isn't it interesting in those moments where we snap or say something narky to someone or we just, I don't know, we, we're just not the the parent we want to be in that moment or the partner we want to be in that moment. Underneath that anger is usually, or that frustration is usually like sadness. Like you want to have a cry. You feel a bit scared or a bit worried about something. And if you actually do that bit first, you probably won't end up feeling the anger or the irritation or whatever it might be. Yeah, but we always feel bad for crying. But then once I do, I think, what on earth am I worrying about? It's so healthy. Get the cry out and then you're a better person, you're a better parent. And also it helps you understand a little bit why I'm feeling like this. Yeah. Why have I been snapping all day? Yeah. It's all just getting a bit much. Have a good cry and it's okay. Love it. Have a good cry. (laughs) It's a great tip. Another one is to try and mitigate the negative voice in your head. How often do you succeed at that? (laughs) Again, I'm laughing because that is hard. It's great advice and I've spoke to so many people about it and it's something that I work on. A lot of stuff in this book is advice that I haven't mastered all of it. I might have mastered it 50% of the time and I'm still working the other 50%. I do have that negative voice in my head and depending on where I'm at in my life and what I've got going on, sometimes it can be really small and sometimes it can be really big. But I think it's just being aware of it, knowing that it is a negative voice, that it isn't my sane mind thinking. Yes. Um, And even just acknowledging that helps me know and helps me deal with it. Um, Whereas before, I used to believe that that was the truth. So 
not all of these pointers and bits of advice I've got down to a T, but it's just seeing them written on paper and acknowledging it helps me understand it more. No one wants to read advice from someone that's nailing it, by the way. Do they? No. Because I'm saying, I God, don't. here's all this advice, but I haven't got no, it all sussed out yet. I would way rather hear advice from someone living it and dealing with the road bumps and saying, oh, I'm messed up there or I'm still working at this. I don't want to hear advice from someone that goes, guys... I've got this all sorted. I'm completely nailing parenting and step parenting, whatever it might be. I just think, oh, I don't believe you. No, it's hard. All of it's hard and it's challenging and every day presents new challenges. So I think your honesty and authenticity in this is what makes it so special. So thank you for that. Thank you. Also, the most valid piece of advice, I think, in that list at the end of the book is pat yourself on the bloody back because we don't do it enough. And if you don't do it, no one's going to. No one might. And you might feel left wanting that. So you have to, again, something I've learned along the way, realise that you are doing a bloody good job. Yes. And you're doing the best you can and be proud of yourself. Because I think if you're always looking for that validation from other people, you may always be left short because you might not always get it. And it's nice to hear it from other people. But it's better to know that you're you're doing it yourself and you're proud of yourself. Yeah. And yeah. we can be proud of ourselves. We absolutely have to be proud yeah. of ourselves. What are you proud about today? About, oh, like, oh God! You put me on the yeah. What today? In, in an of, actual today, or just, or just how you're feeling generally? Like how? What do you feel proud of in your step parenting and parenting journey? Oh, so much! I can't even. Let's think about this. Each day I wake up. By the way, and I do a gratitude journal now. So each day I put the things that I'm grateful for and the best part of my day, and that really helps me like feel grounded and happy. But I'm just proud that my kids are happy, that my children feel that they can talk when it's not great. And that my home is a safe place. That's all I've ever wanted is my house to be a safe place where my kids can be like authentically them and feel happy to express themselves. So I think I'm really proud of that in a parenting aspect. And personally, I would say that I'm growing and learning and learning to be, learning to accept myself more. I think if I look back six, seven years, I was fighting myself, I think and wanted to be the version of me that everyone wanted me to be rather than who I actually was. And I feel like the more that I am authentically me, the more I shine, really. And I'm proud of my... God, I've got a quite a long list here. This is good. <laughs> Keep going. The list should be long. <laughs> and also I'm proud of just... These conversations that I used to be scared to have, these real conversations I used to be terrified to have because I used to think, God, am I going to be judged? And now I have them. They set me free. And they help other people relate and I'm really proud of that as well. What about you? You've got a good oh, subject well, there. I, I, do you know what? I think that's a beautiful list and, and, I, and I love listening to that list because I think we all need to celebrate ourselves more whatever our setup outside of parenting and step parenting. Just give yourself a pat on the back. Everyone's doing great and be proud of what you're doing. Um, I, I am, I'm proud for similar reasons. I'm really proud that our four children have such a beautiful relationship. That makes me so happy. I feel really proud. Like now, it's always the tiny things that we've talked about. Arthur, who's at uni, will ring me out of the blue in the day. And I like could cry when I see his name on my phone. I'm like, oh, my God, he just wants a chat. He's just calling me to say hi. And that is, you know, it's those tiny little things that mean so much to me. Or, you know, when the kids do something thoughtful or like my stepdaughter's an amazing artist so she'll make me these little beautiful cards when it's my birthday or Christmas or whatever and it's all those tiny moments I feel really proud that 
we've that me, Jesse, and the kids have put a lot of work in. So I think all of this, like we've talked about, takes effort and work. But we've worked to ensure that we all understand each other, that we all get on, that we all focus on our love for each other over anything else going on, and that no matter where we're at on any given day, whatever challenges we're facing, we're going to be in it together. That and you know, even now. Arthur's at uni, Lola's going to go off to uni at the end of the year. So it's a different phase now because they're not in the house so much, but still they know they can come back and that feels really important. And I'm I'm really, really proud of that. And it's really, it's an interesting conversation to have because I think I don't often sit and reflect on this last 12 years as a chunk. I've just sort of been racing through a lot of it and you sit back and go, God, we've been through so much together over 12 years and overcome some quite big hurdles at times. And the kids are doing great and they're really happy. And like Lola passed her driving test last week. And I'm incredibly proud of her and sort of slightly terrified, but really proud <laughs> that she can now drive a car. And it's just such a lovely relationship to have. I don't think it's one that people should be scared of. It's a, I love being a step parent. I cherish our relationship, my relationship with my stepchildren so much and I, and I and I absolutely love that role so for anyone embarking on that journey just don't fear it it's a very beautiful thing it just takes like anything worthwhile work and courage and your whole self to be thrown into the mix but it's and, a beautiful yeah, thing I love that it's so nice to hear that mm. and it does like it all pays off yeah. him ringing you like Lorenz he's moved out now and when I see his, it's the same thing. It's something so small when he goes, I love coming home. <sighs> when he was like 14, you squeal, you know, teenagers of that age, like, when I move out, I'm not going to come home. Oh, <laughs> everyone thinks home's terrible, don't they? Yeah. And then to see him saying, oh, I just miss home. It's like, that makes me want to cry because it means that you love it here and we are doing a good job. Mm. It's, I think it's more in the small moments. I went somewhere, you know, Roxana Fusi, I went to her workshop and she said there's a book and it's about terminally ill people. I can't remember the title of the book and what they wish they could be here for, what they wish they could change. And no one said anything big. It was all like, I miss reading a book to my child or I miss picking my kids up from school. All the things that you sometimes rush when you're at home because you want to go and get in bed or you want to go and get in the shower, you've got your own plan. It's always in those small moments yeah. are the things that you miss. And that really helped like ground me as well, I think. Because yeah. sometimes we're always looking for the big sweeping moments. And I, I more feel validation in the small moments. Yeah. And it's, you know, being a parent is monotonous at times and it's relentless. But it is those, find those little beautiful moments of connection within it are so, so important. And I'm just so grateful that you've put it all into this brilliant book. It's the exact book I wish I'd had 12 years ago, but it's going to help a hell of a lot of people who are navigating this complex but very beautiful journey. So... Thank you for writing it and thank you for talking to me today, Kate. Thank you for publishing it because I wouldn't be here without you and thanks for having me. I really enjoyed and appreciate that chat. Um, I learned so much from reading the book and I really love how Kate has boldly decided to talk about her private life in this way with, with ultimate respect for the children and family members involved but has really lifted the lid on what it's like to have a blended family. It's been so helpful to me personally and I know that being part of a blended family is now so commonplace. 
when I embarked on this journey 12 years ago, I did at times feel like no one else really understood what I was going through, which of course wasn't true, but I had zero resources and very few friends experiencing the same. So what Kate's creating online and with this book is incredibly special. Kate, thank you so much for your time. How to Build a Family, published by Happy Place Books, is out on May the 11th. And for lots more book chat, head to Happy Place Book Club on Instagram. We love books and we talk about books non-stop there. We give you tips, advice and listen to your tips and advice too. I'm so loving building that community with you. Next week, a really fascinating look at what it takes to succeed in the sporting world. It's really a brilliant listen. You're going to love it. Make sure you're back here for that by clicking the follow button on your podcast app of choice. Until then, a huge thank you to the gorgeous Kate, to the producer and Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you, you completely gorgeous lot. I love you. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Okay, just jumping in here to let you know that this episode is brought to you in partnership with Comic Relief. Red Nose Day is back on Friday the 15th of March and this year it's time to do something funny for money. Whatever you do this Red Nose Day, make it fun, have a right old laugh and get together to raise some all-important cash. Your donation could help tackle the serious business of providing shelter for those that need it and safe spaces for those those in danger, supporting food banks and helping to support families affected by conflict and climate change in the UK and around the world. Please give what you can this Red Nose Day to help to put food on plates and roofs overheads. Keep little ones safe and help support families in crisis. Text PODCAST to 70205 to give £5 today. That's the word PODCAST to 70205 to donate £5. Text cost your donation amount plus your standard network message charge and 100% of your donation will go to Comic Relief, a registered charity. You must be 16 or over and please ask the bill payers' permission. For full terms and conditions, visit comicrelief.com forward slash ACAST.